Yes. Let's pray. Ask for the Lord's help. We've already prayed, but it's going to be our privilege to, to pray again. And as I'm praying, I'm going to ask you uh, to just pray for yourself as well and ask the Lord for, for maybe the fifth time or the 15th time or maybe the first time. Uh, ask the Lord to show you just the bigness, the largeness, the beauty, all and all every adjective we could put onto this of the beauty of Christmas. I'm going to ask the Lord to do that in me, even as I'm preaching, and ask the Lord to do that in you. Uh, children who are in here with us this morning, I'm, I'm praying that uh, for the children this morning, they, they get to see the wow of Christmas, of why it's such a big deal. And uh, let's just ask the Lord's help and trust that he'll bring, bring it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. And uh, this morning we come before you and we just, uh, we're, we're admitting together that we are dependent we are not independent. We cannot get this uh, life, get through this life on our own. We cannot uh, do things in our own way. Uh, in fact, we uh, have an amazing ability to, to not do things well, to screw things up, and to get ourselves in bad situations. And so, God, we know that, that you have uh, been gracious to us. And we in this room just recognize together your grace, your mercy. We just sang about it. Your mercy is more. And uh, this morning, help us to see the bigness of, of the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. We, go to, we come to Christmas season every year, and we watch the same movies over and over again. We uh, do the same thing, the same traditions, and help us to not miss just the, the power and the magnitude of the season. Thank you that, uh, that we get to come and, and just think about and hear about what you have done for us and just the power of Christmas time. And uh, Holy Spirit, just work in ways that you can only work. I trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I do. I love Christmas. Uh, Chris, favorite Christmas movie is Home Alone. Um, and then after that, who in here would agree that Home Alone is the best Christmas movie of all time? Okay, up here in the front. It's so good. It's just such a great movie. I love it. In fact, I was the first person, my family was the first family in Marion, Illinois to rent Home Alone when it came out in, at Broadway Video. We stood at the door. We either got up early or late, I forget, but we were the first ones in line to rent Home Alone the day it came out. So Broadway Video back in 1993, I think, there was my dad and I waiting for Home Alone. Uh, I love Home Alone. We've watched Charlie Brown Christmas about three times already this year. Ransom loves Charlie Brown Christmas. It's wonderful. Uh, Christmas Vacation. I don't know, Margo. Okay. I love some Christmas Vacation. Other Christmas movies. Christmas Story. I, I like it. Not as much as other Christmas movies, but I just, I love Christmas time. I'm really hoping for pecan pie. I love pecan pie. I found that out last year. Um, and, uh, you know, the taste buds kind of grow over time. And year 32 was the year for me that my taste buds came alive to pecan pie. I love pecan pie. So I'm hoping that my Aunt Robin makes some pecan pie this year. Um, what about, what about uh, other movies you like? Other Christmas movies stored out there? It's a Wonderful Life. I saw that for the first time just a couple days ago. Yeah, for the first time. I'd never seen it. It's, okay, Cindy Baker, it's her favorite movie of all time. Not Braveheart or, or Gladiator? Okay, not as much. Okay. Uh, Elf? Okay, yeah, we've, we've seen Elf. Love Elf. Yeah. Congratulations! Jingle All the Way. I don't know if I've seen that one before. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, yep. Yep, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. He, he's only made, you know, top-notch movies, so I'm sure it's great. Uh, anybody else? Christmas Carol. I don't think I've seen that one. Who's, who's in Christmas Carol? Okay, a bunch. And then there's one with Bill Murray. I've not seen that one. It's Scroo Scrooge. Is that any good? Okay, Netflix only has three stars, so I didn't know if I should watch it or not. But 
Die Hard. Okay, Die Hard. I've seen that on a few lists of favorite movies. So Christmas time is wonderful. Family is wonderful. I love being around family. Our Christmas this year is starting Thursday, and it will go until Monday. So we'll do Christmas at our home on Thursday. Friday, we'll do Christmas at my parents' home. Wait a minute. No, no, no. Stockings start Thursday. Then Christmas uh, at our house will be Friday. Then Christmas at my parents' house Saturday. And Christmas at my parents at my in-laws' house Sunday. And then Monday... Um, we'll have Christmas again at, at my parents' extended family, my mom's extended family. So I love it. I love it. And then uh, also right after Christmas is the holiday tournaments, the Carbondale holiday tournaments. This is year, I think, number 26 or 27 for me, going to the Carbondale holiday tournaments. They're not that great, but for me, they're wonderful. I say all of that to say I love this time of year. And it really is It really is easy to get caught up in this time of year. And uh, I hope that's a setup to say that, that uh, it's so easy to miss uh, even though we've heard the message time and time again, miss the beauty and the wonder of the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor theologian who got caught up in a scandal um, as he was trying to assassinate uh, Adolf Hitler. He was captured and then ended up doing time in prison and eventually a concentration camp and actually dying right before um, his would-be release. And he talks about Christmas as he's sitting in prison in this way. It tells a little backstory first. Diedrich Bonhoeffer awoke December 25th, 1943, on a hard wooden bed. It was the first of two Christmases he would spend sequestered in a Nazi prison. The first Christmas would be celebrated in a lonely prison cell in a place taught, called Tegel. He had been there for nine months, and he'd be there for nine months more until he was transferred to his final home, a Nazi concentration camp. Bonhoeffer had hoped to be released for the holiday, but that was contingent upon his personal lawyer who proved unreliable. His hope of spending Christmas in his, with his family quickly evaporated in the cold silence, and his only connection with his parents would come through letters. Now keep in mind, Bonhoeffer would have been just pretty similar to us. He would have had family traditions. He would have had food to eat. He would have, a war- would have had a warm home to sleep in. All the things that we love about Christmas time. And instead, he's in a cold, damp, dark prison. It goes on. For Bonhoeffer, excuse me, in the Tegel prison, Bonhoeffer and his 700 fellow inmates were treated as criminals irrespective of trials and verdicts. The men were unfettered and verbally harassed, and frequently the warden refused to turn the lights on adding to the dark and depressive spirit of the place. Bonhoeffer was assigned to a cell surrounded by prisoners awaiting execution. He writes often, he writes about often being kept awake at night by the clanking chains and the cots as unsettled and condemned men tossed and turned. But it was within this suffocating suffering, now get this, that Christmas seemed to take a deeper meaning for the 37-year-old pastor scholar. Here's what he said to his parents. A prison cell is a good analogy for Advent. Okay, now keep in mind, dark, 700 people around you, you're malnourished, you're tired, you're not sleeping well because everybody snores and everybody stinks. You don't want to be there, and all you're thinking about, your, your family, and you're just trapped. You can't get out. There's nothing that you can do about it. And here's what he says. He wrote to a friend, sorry, it wasn't his parents, it was to a friend. One waits, hopes, does this or that, ultimately 
negligible things. The door is locked and can only be open from the outside. And here's the point of humanity in its state apart from Christmas. We are trapped. We are prisoners of ourselves. We're under the wrath of God. We're under the leadership of the enemy. We're in a dark, cold, spiritual place called spiritual death. And their only hope for us is that God would break in and do something. And this is the miracle of Christmas. The Word became flesh. So why is Christmas such a big deal? It's because God came and unlocked the door for us from the outside. And he opened up those prison doors and he walked into this place called earth and he lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death and arose from the grave and he secured for himself a family. We've talked about that before. Christmas then shows us the heart of God for it was God the father who sent God the son to earth to be born of a woman, which we'll read here in just a second in Galatians chapter four. Christmas shows us the value, the worth and the love of Jesus so children, if you want to know the value of Jesus, you, listen up this morning. If you want to know how wonderful and how big that Jesus is, then listen up this morning because we're going to hear about that. Christmas is about making sinners and slaves sons with a father. In fact, this is how Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 through 7, the text ends this morning. And I want you to take, I want you to take a look at the end of Hey, Alfonso and Caprice, you can sit up here. There's a spot up here, I think. Um, I want to take you to the end of where we're going this morning, and then I want to show you how we get to the end by steps. And so if you would, go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. And we are going to first look at verse 6, because I want you to see where we're going, and then I want you to see the steps to get where we're going. Verse 6 of Galatians chapter 4. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So where we're going is to a point in this text that says that we are sons of God and we are sons of our Father. Not just God, but we have God as our Father. And for that to happen, for us to be sons in this room of God, having God as our Father, there are steps to take place to get there. And so we're going to get there, but first we got to start in verse 4. The three main ideas about today, and so I'm make, trying to make this as, as simple and clear as possible. We're going to look at the facts of Christmas, okay, the facts of Christmas, the purpose of Christmas, and the results of Christmas, okay? The facts of Christmas, the purpose of Christmas, and the results of Christmas. So first, we're going to look at the facts of Christmas. Look at verse 4 in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So this is Christmas, Jesus being born to Mary. When the fullness of time had come, we see four primary things in this verse. We see first that God has a time. When the fullness of time had come, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that God has made everything, excuse me, chapter 3 verse 14 says God has made everything beautiful in its time. You know, when you're making a cake, when you're making a, uh, uh, when you're making pecan pie, it comes with different ingredients. And those ingredients by themselves don't taste all that delightful. If you were just to go, go home and get a spoonful of uh, flour, 
and just shove that down in your mouth and, you know, kind of down it with, uh, you know, trace it with a, or whatever it's called, uh, with uh, Dr. Pepper or something. It just wouldn't be delightful at all. But you know what? When you get powder mixed with egg, and by the way, egg is not all that delightful, just drinking it raw. Sugar, that's pretty good. But when you put all those things together, because for some reason all those ingredients go in anything that you have to bake, um, it comes out tasting delightful. And this is how God works. There, there are certain things in certain seasons, even in our life, where it feels like God's timing is off. It feels like God is either out there doing nothing or he's really not concerned at all with our life. But we see in this passage that God always has a time. He has a fullness of time. And when the time was ripe, when the time was exactly right, and in the right measure, God acts. God has a plan. He had a plan. And in fact, all of creation, all of world history came to this moment in which God was going to send his son to be born of a woman. And so God was waiting, so to speak, for the right time, for the fullness of time, for it to be the proper place, the proper moment, the proper time to send his son born of a woman. In fact, he does that. He does all things in perfect timing and in just the right measure. And this, by the way, as a side note, is one of the unique characteristics of God. Because we in this room have an ability to do things at the wrong time and the wrong measure. And maybe I'm the only one in that boat, but often I find that my timing is wrong and I'm, I'm either, either overzealous or underzealous for a particular thing. And God is never like that. He is perfect in all his calculations, in all his decrees. He knows exactly what he's doing to the exact measure in which it needs to be done. And this is God when the fullness of time had come. Second, we see that he sent by that he sent his son, that Jesus was sent by the Father. See that in verse 4? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. I want you to understand this, that Christmas shows us the heart of the Father. It was God the Father that sent God the Son to be born under the law to rescue those that his wrath was against. God's wrath was against humanity. And we see that even though God's wrath was against sinners, He still sent forth His Son because He loves sinners. In fact, there is not one person in this world that we cannot rightly say that God loves them. God loves the world. And certainly there are uniquenesses within God's love. There's complexity to God's love. He loves His bride more in a sense or differently or unique in a sense than he loves everybody else, but certainly he loves the world. And this Christmas time is a reminder for us that there are people to be loved out there and they need to know both about God's wrath, but they need to know about God's love, the solution to his own wrath. God sent his son because he loved us while we were yet sinners. So Christmas is rooted in the heart of a father. He's a good father who sent God because, or he sent God the Son because he loved humanity. The next point is important. It says that he was born of a woman. Jesus was born of a woman. This interesting detail is important because we need to know that our Savior, uh, in some ways, can be sympathetic with us. Um, the law demanded a human to be obedient to it, and in fact, humans had over and over again been disobedient to it. So God sending forth a son born of a woman, we now have a God-man who is fully man, who is able to obey the law 
for us in our place. He's going to finally be this faithful representative for the human race. Adam wasn't it. He failed in the garden. Noah wasn't it. He failed time and time again in his life. King David was not it. He was not the faithful representative of the people of the world and God's people Israel. It goes on, Solomon failed to be that man. Over and over and over, Solomon then David, uh, we see these representatives of humanity that failed. And here comes Jesus, born as fully human. Now, we have a song that, uh, that we sing around here, and uh, that song is called Totally God, Totally Man. Now, my voice is kind of bad right now, but I'm going to attempt to sing this song. So clean those ears out. Open them up. And, no, no, Andy can't help with this one. I, I'm sorry, Andy, you can't help with this. So kids, you may have been listening to this in your radio. If you haven't heard this song, I encourage you to go pick up that CD in the back for free. Uh, it's uh, from a, an album called um, uh, The, T-H-E, Dash, Ology. And it is theology for children, and it's got fantastic truths. And this truth about Christmas is that God sent forth His Son, God the Father sent the Son to be fully human. So we have a God, who's fully God, Jesus, who is also fully human. And this is a brain buster. Now, kids, listen up as I sing this song. And adults, you can as well, if you want. Jesus, he's fully God and fully man. That is really hard to understand. So let me try to explain. Jesus. His word upholds the galaxies, but he battled like a baby in his mother's arms. Jesus, he understands the universe. Okay, I'm not going to sing the whole thing. <clears throat> That's enough. Okay, so I want you to hear the lyrics of these songs and why, parents, it's so important. This is just a free resource we give away that can be so helpful uh, both for your children but for you. So get this, Jesus walked upon the ocean blue, but his feet got tired and dirty too on the dusty roads. Jesus cried when his friend Lazarus died, but his power brought him back to life when he called out his name. Jesus understands the universe but he had to go to school to learn how to write his name. He's totally God, totally man, both in one, the great I am. To save the world, fulfill God's plan, he had to be totally God and totally man. And it goes on. I encourage you to get that album and sing those great truths with your family. And you know what? They're pretty good songs. I kind of like listening to them just by myself. So pop it in there. And this is the truth of Christmas. This wonderfully complex truth of God coming to earth to live. Jesus lives this life fully human. And you know what? There was an age. Silas, how old are you now? Seven. You know what? There was an age. There was a time when Jesus was seven years old and he was walking around a perfect little seven-year-old boy. This really happened. This is a story of Christmas. The word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Jesus lived in his humanity, um, in a broken family. He even experienced family um, discussion, family um, conflict. He experienced all these sorts of things. He knows what it's like to be human. This is the truth of Christmas. He's totally God, totally man. Now, the last truth in verse 4 is that he was born under the law. Look at that. Born under the law. This is Jesus. So God had given... His law to humanity. 
Okay, he gave to his people, and it was binding on the rest of the world, though at least the moral law was as well. And so here is this law that just imagine it's just hovering like a blanket over the top of all of us in this room. Okay, so here is this law. It's just kind of hover, hovering over us like a big blanket. Okay, it's like fort time. Ransom loves building forts right now. It's a lot of fun. And what dad doesn't love building forts? I mean, come on. Um, so Jesus came, and he was born under the fort called the law, that blanket, born under the law. And so that means that everything that was required of people would be required of him. God's demands on everyone would be laid upon him. So Jesus would be judged by his father according to how well he did at obeying the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. So as Jesus comes, he's born of the law, just like everybody else. God is going to bring a judgment then um, over everybody who's living under this law, and he's going to be judged. Jesus would be the exact same way. So the 613 laws that were given to God's people, both in the moral, ceremonial, and the civil law, Jesus would be judged accordingly, how well he's doing that. And then even with the moral side of the law, or, or the uh, spirit of the law, he's going to be judged with how well from the heart he loves his heavenly father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Jesus comes, and he comes under this law, and he's going to be judged accordingly. But now we see, now that we have these kind of facts of Christmas that there was a time for Jesus to be sent, he, uh, to come. He, Jesus was sent by the Father. He was born of a woman, both totally God and totally man, and he was born under the law. Now we get to see the purpose of all those things. What was the purpose of God's timing? What was the purpose of being sent by the Father? What was the purpose of being born of a woman? And what was the purpose of being born under the law? Well, verse 5 tells us. This is point two of the sermon, the purpose of Christmas. It says this, verse 5, two, you see that? To redeem those who were under the law. To redeem them. The story of Christmas is a story of redemption. The word became flesh and dwelt among us that we would be redeemed. God sent Jesus to redeem us, to get us back Christmas is God's scream to the world. I want you. I want you. I'm coming for you. I'm unlocking the door. I'm sending my son to be born in the likeness of flesh and to live up under the law and to win you back. You rebelled against me. You've sinned against me. I want you back anyways. And he sends his son to live underneath this law to redeem. We were held captive under God's wrath. We could not escape. Like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the door was locked and we had no hope of getting out unless somebody came to us and opened that door and led us out. It was dark. It was dire. And we were hopeless apart from the truth of Christmas. Only God could get you back. This was a prison we could not escape. This was a sin nature that we so loved, we so hated the things of God, that we couldn't come to Him unless He would come to us. And Christmas says, I come to you. So Jesus would go under the law and get us, grab us, and pull us out from under the law and bring us into something new. 
It's like he would come and he would get us and he would grab us from under this law. Sorry, thank you for letting me use you here, Alfonso. Jesus would come, grab hold of us under this law, and he'd say, come on, you're coming with me. And how did Jesus do this? Well, we know the truth of the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus came and lived a substitutionary life, meaning he lived a life as a representative for people under this law, and he obeyed his heavenly Father perfectly. And so he would stand out among everybody that was under this law. He would be the one who actually accomplished both the letter and the spirit of the law. He listened to his heavenly Father's voice and only obeyed his heavenly Father's voice. He only did the will of his Father. He did everything perfect under this blanket called the law. And he separated himself and he, to the Father, earned a judgment that we know, we've talked about it before, in this, with all the standards that were given to him, he earned a judgment. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He did it. The only one who would ever do it, the only one who would ever accomplish, accomplish it. And so he lives this perfect life in our place. And then he goes to the cross. And what judgment does he get? He gets the judgment of the people who are still failing miserably under this law. Who rebelled against him. In fact, the people who were under this law didn't recognize the beauty of what Christ had done for him, for them. And so they crucified him. And they said, no. Like Adam, they thought they could do things their own way. And so Jesus took the punishment that those who were under the law deserved to have come their way on themselves. And then by this radical, weird, supernatural, wonderful plan of God that only he could make up, the people who sinned against him, those who would one day trust in him, God's eternal people, we would look to him and we would get the credit of the life that Jesus lived. For his bride, for all those who would be included in his family, we get the credit, even though we crucified the Savior, we get the credit of the life that Jesus earned under that law. We get the credit of that scandalous he overcomes satan sin and death raises from the grave securing our justification and he redeemed us from the curse of the law now this is a great thing is it not is that not a great thing that our judge the god of the universe because of what christ has done for us by his work and his work alone for those who by grace have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ, we now can receive the judgment that God gave to Jesus, that, that Jesus earned, that, that that can come upon us. Is that not wonderful news? Is it not wonderful news that the judgment that we earned, that Jesus took in our place, like all of these things, these are truths that we can just meditate on and that we can think through. And this is the whole flow of Christmas. This was the point. Christ was born for this reason. To redeem those who were under the law. This is a great thing, but friends, this is not all. Justification is wonderful. And it is the chief doctrine of the Christian faith, you could say. It was the heart of the Reformation 500 years ago. It remains the heart of 
Protestant and Catholic divide still to this day? Is justification the work of God alone and Christ alone through faith alone, by grace alone, to glory be to God alone? Or is justification uh, about what God has done and what you can do to make it a little bit better? To supplement what was missing in his work? And this, among Protestants, continues to be something that is so confusing. Is it Christ's work plus my work, or is it Christ's work alone? Is Jesus' work really sufficient to completely save me? And friends, this is wonderful news, but justification serves even a bigger purpose. And what is that bigger purpose? Well, there's a result of Christmas. So the result of that redemption, so the facts of, Christ, uh, of Christmas, the purpose of Christmas to redeem us, to redeem those who are under the law. But then there are some mighty, mighty, wonderful, wonderful, glorious, glorious results. We see that starting in verse 5b. After to redeem those who are under the law, get this, so that. We are redeemed for a purpose. You see that? So that. So that we might receive adoption as sons. That we might receive adoption as sons. I was listening to a, a guy preach a sermon on adoption. His name was C.J. Mahaney, and he quoted this, and I had read this years ago and I'd forgotten, so I kind of pulled it up out of the archives, and I, I want to share it with you this morning. A guy named J.I. Packer wrote a fantastic book in 1973 called Knowing God. If you've not read it, I encourage you to do so. Here's what he says about adoption. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his heirs and children. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. Now get this. To be right with God the judge, justification is a great thing. We all, with hearty amens, with head nods, and with, we said, yes, it is a wonderful thing. It is justification. It's wonderful. And it's a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. You see, we need both. For those who think they understand adoption, but they don't understand justification, they're always going to be afraid that their father's mad at them because they don't understand that the judge has declared them innocent. But for those who only understand justification, that they've been declared innocent, there's this other category of God, of the fatherhood of God, of a good father who is not just sovereign in like this stoic sort of way, but in a fatherly way over his children. That whole category is completely missed. And so relationship with God can often be formulaic. Static. Well, God only sees the righteousness of Christ in me, and that is so true. But they miss this relational element of having God as Father. And so we need both. Justification serves to bring us into the family of God, into the fold, and seats us at the table with God the Father. And because it says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, ladies, I want you to hear this because men have to feel comfortable being called the bride of Christ because that's what we're called. And men, we need to be comfortable being called that. As uncomfortable as it may feel to be called a bride, you are the bride of Christ, and you have a great bridegroom. And if, if that feels awkward or uncomfortable, you need to get past that 
and recognize our faithful big brother is also the husband of a wonderful bride, uh, excuse me, of a terrible bride that he's made wonderful. And he's brought us into his family. And so we've got to be comfortable being called the bride of Christ. That's what we're called. And it may feel awkward against our, you know, manhood and masculinity, but that's what we are. We're the bride of Christ. And ladies, you are the sons of God. And the ancient world and the first century Mediterranean world and in Jewish culture and in Roman culture, ladies, sorry, when inheritance came, you got the short end of the stick. But not in the family of God. You got internal inheritance. And as I said once before, why do you need a boat if you're going to inherit the earth? Ladies, why, why are you reaching for things if you're going to inherit the earth? You're sons of God. In the same way that we have to be as men comfortable being called the bride of Christ, I want to invite you into maybe seeing something for the, for the first time that you are a son of God. And all that that means, and all that I don't even know it means, and that's the way it is with the scriptures, isn't it? We barely scratch the surface, and then when we get to heaven, we'll see that we didn't even scratch the scratching of the surface of all of the beauty and the wonder that's in this wonderful book. <coughs> Ladies, as men have to get comfortable, let me read exactly what I wrote for clarity's sake. Being called the bride of Christ, it would be well for you to be comfortable being adopted as sons. In the ancient world, males only got the inheritance. Jesus comes and makes you a son, and that inheritance can come to you as well. And here's what's so wonderful. Jesus comes to get a family. God sent forth, God the Father sent God the Son to redeem sinners and make them sons of God. It's the crescendo. You're the family of God. That's what Christmas is all about. We go to celebrate this Christmas season, and you know what? I'm going to be at we're going to have our family Christmas. We're going to have in-laws, my parents' family Christmas. All of you guys most likely are going to be spending time. And I realize that there's some painful elements to Christmas for some people. But in general, you're going to have probably a pretty good time for Christmas. At least see some family. There's always the crazy uncle that's weird. But other than that, it's generally a good time, even if some pain and emotional distress comes from it. And... I want you to know, as you're looking around and seeing this family, you're a part of a greater family even than your genetic family. God has brought you into a family that's global, it's historical, and it will go forever and ever and ever. And there's going to be a banquet table one day that's set from people from all over the globe, across all of history. And we're going to sit with our faithful big brother, Jesus. And we're going to celebrate together as sons of the living God. And we're going to be in a kingdom that will not end. And we will have full joy forevermore. And for every laugh, laugh this Christmas. I want you to think about the fact, because of Christmas, you're going to have the fullest joy that you could ever experience in a moment. The greatest euphoria, the greatest moment you've ever experienced on this earth is nothing compared to the fullness of joy of being in the presence of God. And not only is that fullness of joy going to be there, but it's going to be forevermore. It's never going to end. The greatest pleasure you've ever experienced in this earth, in this world, ends. And because of Christmas, because of what Christ has done, bringing us into the family of God, we're going to have full joy forever and ever and ever and ever. And there's not ever going to be a moment where we feel bored. You know how the greatest thing that you can do in this life or the greatest moment of euphoria that you can experience or the greatest hobby or the greatest high that you can have 
you know what? In this world, it ends. And you can say, man, that was pleasurable. That was wonderful. That's a memory that I'll remember, that I'll remember forever. But all of a sudden, at some point, it ends. And you know what? You're bored again. Heaven won't be like that. There is no pleasure on earth that can measure the pleasure of heaven. And it will be for every second, for every day, forevermore. In his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, the psalmist tells us. And that's the hope of Christmas. Verse 6 and 7 says this, look with me. And because you are sons, God sent, uh, sent, has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is where we started. And this is where we're at right now. To get here, we had to have all the rest. Christmas brings us to here. Now, God has sent Jesus to redeem you. You have redemption. God has sent Jesus to redeem you, to make you in his family. And so you're his sons. And because you're his sons, now God has sent the Spirit of his Son, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. And the Holy Spirit in us is abiding in us, the sons of God. And now we can know that that is true because as we have said these things, as I have declared these things, as I have read the things that the Spirit wrote in his word, our heart responds in this way. And we want to, deep down in the marrow of our bones, we want to cry out, Abba, Father, thank you. And right now, what's rumbling inside of you, or what I hope should be as we're reading these words, is a deep sense of wonder and awe. I have a heavenly father. I may not have had a good father in this earth, or any father at all for that matter, but I have a heavenly father. And I have never maybe felt the pleasure of being a son who is loved or delighted in, but I have a father who loves and delights in me. And my spirit cries out, the Holy Spirit within me, God who no longer dwells in temples built by human hands, God who doesn't just hang out in here through the week, but God himself comes into us because of what Christ has done. Because of Christmas, we have God with us. Now let's think about a few things. Without Christmas, what would we not have? Well, without Christmas, we would not have redemption. We wouldn't have redemption. This Christmas season, I want you to think about that. Without Christmas... We wouldn't have had a representative to come and live under this law, the commands of God. We, we would have been responsible ourselves before God, and we would have no hope to ever living up to the standard that God, the holy standard that God had given us. Without Christmas, we would not have adoption. We would not know God as Father. Without Christmas, we would not have the Holy Spirit within us. Without Christmas, we would not have God as our Father. So without Christ, we can infer, without Christ, you do not have redemption. Christmas takes on special meaning for Christians. And for non-Christians, the alarm is sounded. The trombone, or the thing that the SIU Saluki male cheerleaders yell out through, what's that thing called? The megaphone. It's going through the megaphone. If you're not in Christ... If you're not in Christ, you better be, better be right with God before the time is up. He's got a time, the fullness of time, and he will return. So if you're not in Christ, you don't have redemption. You don't have adoption. You don't have the Holy Spirit within you. You don't have God as Father. You don't get the benefits of Christmas except a few gifts next Sunday. But with Christ. But with Christ. Christmas means 
Andy, you can go ahead and come up. Tune your ears, tune your heart, because I want you to feel this. When I'm saying these things directly from God's word, I want you to sense, and I pray so much the Spirit's working in you, where you're experiencing, even now as I'm preaching, as we sing, you're experiencing verse 6, where the Spirit of God in your heart is crying out, Abba, Father, in thankfulness, and in wonder, and in awe. But with Christ, hear these truths. Here's what Christmas means for you this year, and every year. It means you have redemption. It's yours. You have been redeemed. God came to the dungeon, opened it up, and rescued you out of that prison. You have been adopted. You're a son. You're a son of the living God. You have the Holy Spirit within you, testifying to this truth. You know. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm, I'm God's. I'm God's. Yes, I struggle, but I know, I know that God is my Father. And I know if I was to die today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I would be with Him. And you have God as Father. You don't have just God as judge. You have God as Father. God is just not sovereign to you. You have a sovereign Father who is patient, kind, and he knows how to tenderly deal with his children. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of Christmas. I ask that these truths... Well, Holy Spirit, you say, you just said in your word that the Spirit testifies with our spirit. and We cry out, Abba, Father, that we're sons of God. We cry out, Abba, Father. So I trust that you're going to do that even now as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.